Uh, I said last week or invited you to pray with me for the direction of our church and also to enter into conversation with God about what does it mean to give money to a church. And I said I was going to give you guys conversation prompts that you can use in that conversation. So here's the, here's the prompt for this week. Talk about it with God, with, you, with your spouse, with your family, uh, by yourself. Um, how can you use your money to worship God? Uh, in the Old Testament, there was very well-defined practices that you were to do to worship God, involving animal sacrifices, where you to take one of the best of your flock, and in a very visceral experience, give it back to God. Uh, we thankfully don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Uh, but what would that look like today? Uh, I think money is probably the measure of our wealth that's most closely related to our flocks. And Paul uh, even related that when he's thanking the church uh, in Philippi. Uh, Oh, Chris quoted Philippians as well. Uh, But he he relates the two. Uh, He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And so how can we use our money in what ways to worship God? What does that even look like? Um, Just to let you guys know, the goal is not that we would raise money. And honestly, what if you you end up concluding that the way to worship God is to give money to your friends or to family or to invest in certain areas? That's fantastic. The, The goal of these conversations is that we would understand Uh, how we can use our money in ways uh, to worship God, to honor God, and that we would know God better through this. So let's all honestly uh, answer this question this week. So that's the little conversation. Next five weeks minus when I'm out or when we're doing this, uh, February 26th day, uh, we'll be talking about different conversation prompts. But now to Colossians. What a fantastic book. We're almost halfway through it, uh, but we get to continue going through Uh, more the meat section of the letter, we get to the real reason why Paul's writing. Uh, And to set it up, I want to start talking about something else that I am also very fluent in and like talking about. It's not going to stay there. We'll open it up when we need it. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan. And if you are a sports fan, odds are we've probably talked about sports at some point. And there's something very historic that's going to happen in the NBA, the National Basketball Association, professional basketball, within possibly the next week. Here, here's, here's the thing. Um, no way you guys can read that. I'll tell you what it is. It's a list of the top 10 leading scorers of all time in the NBA. Number one is a guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Who's ever heard of that name? He played before I was born. I don't, I'd never watched him play. I just read books about him and watch YouTube videos. I wanted to say that to sound smart. I don't read books. Um, Not about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, goodness, this is terrible. Anyway, he's got 38,387 points. Second place is a guy named LeBron James. Who's heard of him? He plays now. So I've actually, yeah, watched him play. Don't read books about him either. 38,271 points. Uh, And then there's all sorts of other people and other fantastic names in the history of the NBA, blah, blah, blah. What it is saying is that there's just over 100 points separating the number one all-time leading scorer and the number two all-time leading scorer, LeBron James. If LeBron continues to score at his current rate, by the time that we come back here next week, there will be a new all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, it sounds impressive. It is impressive. Um, Here's the funny part, though. It's going to renew debate, you know, because if you're a sports fan, this is the silly part. There's actually, so sports are an entertainment industry, right? 
Do you know that there's a whole other entertainment industry connected to this entertainment industry called like sports talk, you know, or sports news, where people are now going to debate, is LeBron James the best ever player, right? So sure, he scored the most points, but is he the best ever player? And so people are going to argue yes or argue no, uh, on and on and on and on. And I think if I was backed into a corner and you said, well, who's the best basketball player ever? I'd, I'd probably say, you know, because of his longevity, his success with multiple different teams and different uh, time periods, I think I'd have to say, yeah, LeBron is the best basketball player. And some people, like, look, look. Some people, okay, I, I, here's, the, here's the thing. I, no, 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 like, like, I, like we could argue this, right? No, but, but he, and here's the other thing. Here's the, we won't argue this, right? At least not right here. But, but that, that's the point. Like, what if, I know not all you guys care about basketball or even know what this is. What if it was something important, right? What, what if your friend believed something that was, was wrong or was harmful? What would you do, right? I mean, okay, it's sports, ha you, you can believe that, you know, but we all know Michael Jordan's the best or whatever it is or, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he's up there. I mean, anyway, what if it was um, uh, either something false they believe about God or something they believe about themselves, right? Like, what if your friend says like, oh, I'm just a terrible dad, you know, like something happens, they come to you, ah, oh, man, I, I so messed up, I'm such a terrible dad. You'd say something, right? You wouldn't just, okay, <laughs> you've got your own opinion, I've got mine, like on we go. No, no, you, you'd say, no, you're not. You know, our first gut instinct is, no, you're not a terrible dad, you're a great dad, right? Like we'd immediately combat the lies with the truth, right? We'd say, no, no, that's, that's false, here's the truth. And then if we saw what happened, or if we understand maybe what's going on, we'd, we'd try to refute why you think that you're terrible. You know, you just forgot something this one time. Or don't compare yourself to someone else. You have a genuine relationship with your kids that, that, that fits between you. You're a great dad, right? We, if we cared about them and we were concerned about what the thing was that they were believing, we would argue against it. We would we'd set this aside. Here's truth. This is what you need to hold on to. And we'd say, forget all this. This is wrong. And we'd refute whatever it is that you believe. Uh, that's what Paul's going to be doing here in this, in this chapter. The main reason he's writing to this church in Colossae, we've talked. They're a young group of believers that has received the gospel with joy. Um, there, there's fruit, there's growth, uh, but then Paul is concerned, and we're finally getting to that point in the scripture where he's going to be like, okay, well, here's, here's what I'm concerned about. You guys might be believing something not quite true. Here, let me ground you in truth and tell you why it's, it's wrong over here. When we read it, uh, I don't think many or any of us struggle with the exact same beliefs, but we can understand the type of things that Paul's talking about to be able to make sure that we are standing firmly on Christ and not eh, maybe a little bit over this way, like Paul's concerned with the church. Uh, so we're going to read uh, chapter 2, verses 6, all the way down to 23. There's two sections. We'll kind of break it up. Uh, the, the book started with Paul greeting them and then a prayer for them in their future, and that kind of gave us the the nutshell, the summary of what Paul wanted for the church, and it's being rooted and grounded in Christ. Uh, then he introduces this Jesus, who is the Christ, why he has authority, why we should listen to him, and then he introduces himself. Uh, here's kind of my credibility and why you should uh, listen to me, and now he's finally turning and, and wanting to tell them, all right, here's what it is. So here, here it is, Colossians 2, verses 6. Uh, I'll read down to 15 in this first chunk. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I just want to make a quick comment. That last verse there echoes his prayer. 
So in chapter one, where he prayed that they would live a life worthy of God, uh, he described it as, as bearing fruit. So now it's rooted instead of bearing fruit. So it's the roots instead of the stems. Uh, built up, he said, grow in knowledge, strengthened. We talked about being strengthened for endurance. And then also overflowing with thankfulness. It talks about giving joyful thanks to God in, in chapter one. Uh, that, that's just a note that Paul, even for all of his rabbit trails that he seems to go on, we talk about kind of how his writing's a little confusing. He's very much writing a coherent letter. There's a reason he's writing this. He's not just firing off text messages, you know, that like spur of the moment thoughts to this church. Like he is pinning something that has meaning that we can understand as we read. All right, verse eight, here's his concern. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and then the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And then he grounds them in the truth. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh. Well, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." That's the truth. Uh, so, I mean, there's so much uh, good theology in here, uh, things to come back to or be reminded of to reflect on. I want us just to sit a little bit in the truth in those last couple of verses where it talks about uh, our uh, record against God. You know, you can, you can envision yourself uh, being given a test by God. Like, you know, you're a student and God says, here are all the things I want you to do with your life. Right? Here's, here's all the goodness, all the righteousness I've already designed for you. This is, this is what you're doing, right? And so as you live your life, it's like you're filling out these answers of this math exam, you know, and, and now uh, you give it back to the instructor and God's grading it, right? And he's got his red pen up there and he's, nope, nope, you know, and you're like, ah, I mean, I tried, you know, like, I mean, but I, I know I didn't do perfect, but maybe I'll pass, right? And you're like holding on, hoping that it's enough or, you know, that you can get by. Uh, see, and then the Bible talks about, see, Paul goes here where he's talking about these, these uh, rulers, these powers and authorities, um, talking about spiritual beings. In the Bible, Satan is called the accuser because uh, Satan has access to that test. He knows what you scored on it, and he will point out like, ha ha, look at this, it hit. You're dumb. You're not good enough. You're not going to pass. Look at all these that you missed and showing you. Right, and, that, and that's what we feel, where we recognize, ah, you know what, I should just drop out of this class, right? You know, it's like, there's no way I'm going to get through this. But what happened to that exam? What happened to that report, that grade, that paper, that charge against us? He nailed it to the cross, right? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It's gone. The very next verse talks about what does this do to our accuser? And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That exam isn't even there for our accuser anymore. What exam? 
right? That there is no record of us failing the class before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We are now free, right? So not just our, our sins are forgiven, but now there's no record of our wrongs against God. He has purified us. He's made us whole. Um, there is so much here in just those verses. I mean, there'd be, there's multiple sermons tucked within this, but here's the, the point that Paul's trying to make is that we have all of this, this freedom in Christ, right? This, this release from our old fleshly nature, the, the part of us that's corrupt. Uh, we've been purified. We've been cleansed. We've been forgiven. We're holy because of what Christ has done on the cross. And we participate in that with him through baptism. And so baptism for us today is the, the initiation into following Christ where you are unified with him. It's our unity with Christ that leads to this purification. That's the truth. That's what Paul wants us to hear. All right, we're going to read uh, the next section because now he pivots to what is this hollow and deceptive philosophy and now he's going to refute what it is that they, they say. This is verse 16 through 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Uh, those three things right there at the end, the religious festivals, new moon celebration, and Sabbath day, those three together uh, refer back to the entire Jewish religious calendar. So all of the different practices that God gave to Moses, his people that the Jews still followed, that's what he's referring to there. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Uh, also want to go back to worship of angels. I, I feel like when we read that, when I read that, maybe, maybe you're in this book, you're like, whoa, what's this? Never heard of that. You know, like there's no uh, tradition right here that worships angels, right? Like on a Sunday morning. Uh, there, there's just a problem with even how we understand that. We don't know if it's like, uh, like us worshiping angels, like the worship of angels, or if it's like the angels worshiping God, right? Like the worship of angels. Like here's an example. Um, Jim Lundy uh, just got back from a trip to Africa and they saw fantastic wild animals. What if he said, he didn't know I was going to say this. I was going to have just a, a generic person that traveled to Africa and then I remembered it was him. Um, what if he said, hey, I'd like to tell you all, we went on this safari, it was fantastic, I'd like to tell you all about the hunting of lions. Be like, oh, cool, that's great. Wait, do you hunt lions? Or do you mean like you learned about how they hunt? You know, it's like, you don't know what that of, how it's attached. In the Greek, there's not even an of. And so all that to say, what these people are, what the false teachers are saying is some super spiritual experience, right? Like whether I'm being teleported where the angels are right next to me and we're worshiping God or where I'm bowing down to angels. There's some weird extra spiritual kind of thing that maybe Paul hasn't taught. I mean, the reason why we don't see worship of angels is that wasn't Christian belief. They, they, goodness, how does my mind work? They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Those are referring to the, the purity laws of the temple where you, you couldn't eat certain foods, you couldn't touch certain things. That would make you unclean and unfit to enter into the temple for worship. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, 
are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what Paul is essentially saying is that there's a group of people who are preaching Christianity, but they're saying, ah, but wait, there's kind of this extra that you can do. You know, I, I view it like they're trying to upgrade you to the premium version of Christianity. You know, it's like just a, just a low monthly charge of some of these extra spiritual disciplines, and then you too can experience ad-free Christianity or whatever it is. Uh, I, I imagine the pitch went something like this. So, so you, don't, you don't, Paul doesn't say, well, here's what they're saying, and here's not what they do. He's just, he's just telling them, no, here's the truth, and he's refuting what they say. I imagine there'd be some people walking around like, hey, what's up, young Christians? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower too. Pretty cool what Jesus did on the cross, right? But did you know that you can have more? You know, like there's like these greater experiences. Let me tell you, this last time, you know, I was really in this like trance and I, I got teleported to the throne room of God. There's angels all around me. I was like high-fiving as we're worshiping. It was amazing. Now look, there's a special way to get there. It's, it's kind of hard. You have to just deny yourself of many different foods. Make sure you follow these practices to a T that God has given us in the right order. I will tell you this special way. It's a li- like, like, don't worry, it's hard, but I can guide you through it. If you want to be a part of the extra special Christians, come follow me, right? And Paul, Paul's saying, like, yeah, it might sound good. They, they, might, they might say that there's Jesus, right, and that we're holding on to him, but really we've lost connection to the head. You know, they're filled up with these idle notions. They've got ideas about how to achieve this purity as if anything that we're doing is making us pure. We're already pure in Christ, right? Everything has already been taken care of. You can't do anything to bring God's presence closer because Jesus has already done everything to bring God's presence close. You know, that's, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, these people are making this up. They're holding on to things that were in the past that were pointing toward Jesus, but now we actually have Jesus. You know, it's like, so, so stop trying to add things and let's stand on who Christ is. You don't need them. They're, they're, they're making a man-made religion because guess what? We feel a whole lot more comfortable when we're in control of the relationship with God. If it's based on our, you know, on our list of what we're, what we're doing and what we're not doing. Uh, what Paul wants the Colossian church to know and understand is that, no, you can have spiritual fullness. You don't need the premium version only in Christ, only in Jesus. Did you guys read that? Whoa, I went back like four. Only in Jesus are you spiritually full, full, full. Like, look, look at this. In verse 10, he says, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness, right? Because he talked about in Christ, the fullness of God dwells, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness, right? There, there's no extra. There's, there's no additional. There's, there's no other spirituality that you can access if we do other things. No, everything was accomplished in Christ. This principle right here, uh, is actually pretty key to our tradition as, as Protestants and even within Protestantism, evangelicalism, where, you know, we would critique other Christian traditions because we say, they say, yes, you have to believe in Jesus. Yes, Jesus died for your sins. Yes, he is the Savior, but also, you know, and then you fill in that, but also with something else. You, you have to pray a certain way, or you also have to believe these certain things. Uh, you also have to have these practices or you have to participate in the community or give money or serve or attend, whatever it is. Uh, not, not in the sense, uh, there's a difference between saying I read my Bible in order to know God 
but, but some people teach that you won't have a full spiritual experience, right? Like your, your forgiveness of sins or your salvation will not be secured unless you also fill in the blank, whatever it is. But the evangelical tradition that, that we're a part of in, in this church says, no, 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 no. We believe what Paul said. Everything's done in Christ. Our spiritual fullness is here and here only. Everything else that we do points back to Christ. And it's because we want to hold on to Christ more. There is no practice. There is no thing that we do. There's no right words. There's no types of prayers. There's no attendance. Nothing else that leads to a full spiritual existence in Christ. So we guard ourselves between our beliefs, make sure that we're not preaching this. You know, if we're ever saying something like that, you can, you can raise your hand and be like, oh, hold on, what about Colossians 2? You know, we forget it. Uh, but, but see, I think we can probably apply this a little bit more closer to ourselves in our practice, not just in our beliefs. Uh, Paul, when he's talking about these Old Testament, right? Here's the, here's the part where I don't think any of us, I don't know. Uh, not many of us are probably struggling with how closely should we follow the Old Testament laws, particularly the purity laws. I talked about the sacrificial system. We don't have to follow that anymore. Perhaps you're actually really struggling with whether or not you should. Uh, but my guess is you aren't, right? So what is that today? What does that look like in our culture? Paul says this about those things. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Uh, Oakley is, is one, super cute. Uh, uh, yep, we'll leave it at that. And right now, one of the things that he's really cute about is he always notices his shadow, right? So the sun's fantastic in Colorado. Even on a day like yesterday when it snowed for like 20 minutes, there was also sun on either side of it. I'm like carrying him. He's like, oh, my shadow, my shadow. And it's like, yeah, great. And then I see a teaching opportunity. Hey, do you know how the shadow's there? Right? I'm thinking like a two-year-old. Like you probably don't, it's, it's probably not as apparent as it is for us. I point to the sun. I go, well, it's actually the sun that shines through like a, an opaque body, you know, and then it projects onto the, the blank surface. And you see, and he's like, no, the shadow, dad. Not to, I'm not talking about the sun. And I'm like, ah, you know, and I, I get it. I get it. Like there's no one that grows up thinking that the shadow is, you know, a separate entity from the body. But like, I mean, what if that happened, right? Like what if my kid grows up and he's like making friends with kids' shadows and talking with them? And, and it's just like, well, don't, don't talk about the kids right here. No, you, the shadow's not like an actual thing, right? It's a projection of a thing. The thing is right here. You know, well, that's what Paul's saying, right? Stop chasing shadows. You have the real thing. You know, it's like, you, it's right, you just, oh, there's the real person, right? Christ is here. We have him. Stop chasing shadows. And here's the part where I think we can apply it to ourselves, right? Where, where we can take things that come from Jesus, right? That, are, that only exist because we know who Jesus is. And we can say, oh, I like that better, right? And now we're just chasing shadows, like the kid we're all laughing at, if, it, if that was true, you know? Uh, all right, let's play a game called Let's Get Uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, uh, Jim talked about a church that had a banner hanging out from it, right? And we're all kind of like, oh, let's not trash other churches, right? Um, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the banner was a rainbow flag, and I think... If, to a lot of us, that can mean different things. I don't know what it means, right? I've never met this church. I've never talked with them. You know, we can guess maybe why they're putting it out there. Let's say, let's say they, they recognized in Jesus's character that he had a radical love and acceptance of everyone who sought him, 
right? And that's why they want to put it out there because they want to demonstrate that there's just this radical love, this no judgment, like come to me as you are. Then we say, okay, well, that's fine, right? But here's my question. Is that fine? Because if we're saying the banner represents this character of Jesus, it only exists because there was a Jesus. It's a shadow reflecting or or silhouetted from, from the actual person of Christ. And here's the thing. As a church, do you want to display a shadow and say, this is who we are, right? Do you want to be known for the shadow or known for the Christ, known for Jesus, right? And so, so it's a, just a simple step, right? If we start saying, this is who we are as a shadow, for you to just kind of slowly, this is who we are, right? And now we're, we're raising shadows, we're chasing shadows, and we completely lose Christ. Then we become like these false teachers, separated from the head who is Christ. What Paul's essentially saying is that they're not really a part of the church, yeah, they believe in Jesus, but they're, they're actually not part of the church. Okay, so uh, it's easy to point fingers. How about looking in the mirror and see our own warts a little bit closer? You guys ready? We'll play the game again. All right. Uh, there's another banner that some churches display inside, outside the building, also colorful. Three colors, red, white, and blue, stars and stripes. Yeah, I mean, but that one makes sense. Because I'm, I mean, I'm proud to be an American. You know, there's a lot of other countries that don't have the freedoms that we have. Our country was built on principles of, of what, what the Bible's based on, of Jesus' teaching. That belongs in the church. Does it? <laughs> right? Like if we're saying that our, our nation was founded on principles of Jesus, we're, we're admitting it's a shadow right? There is a Jesus that has character, and, and even in its ideal best, it's only a shadow, right? Even if, it, it, even if our country is reflective of exactly who Jesus is, it's still just a shadow. So why would a church display a shadow as this is who we are, right? Is that not dangerous, where perhaps we start finding our identity in a shadow and not the actual thing, right? Like, is it not just a few steps away from becoming detached from Christ altogether and now becoming idolatry, well, we're chasing it. Yes, it's like, I guess, I guess so, right? And he, here's the part where it's gonna be very tricky, slow to identify these things. Like at, at Beyond Church, we don't wanna display banners, you know, like we're, we're pretty particular about trying not to put different things out in order to say that we're about anything other than Christ. You know, the one the one thing we have in this room is that cross. You can hardly see it in the dark. I can hardly see it because these lights are bright. But we feel like Colossians 2, if there's one thing to remind us of Christ, it feels like, yeah, the cross is probably it. Like, that's probably what we need to remember. This is who we are. Um, but we can go a step further and find more warts, right? Because I'm still pointing at other churches. I haven't quite pointed the finger at us yet. I don't know if you guys are noticing this game. All right, we can play with us. What do we display? on our building. Our name. Well, nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, we got to name our church something. How are people going to find it? Want to apply the same logic, right? Like our name, our mission of Beyond Church is a reflection of Christ. That that was what we tried to do, right? We tried to say, this is who Christ is. This is what he's calling us to do in the community. So we want to reflect that. It's a shadow. Why would a church put a shadow up? Uh, you know, because we have to. Well, is it not just a small step away from saying that this thing, this mission, this culture that we're creating, this body, this people is more important than the Christ? 
that we're claiming to follow? I guess, ah. I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm not planning on taking the sign down, but that's, there's a danger there, right? Like, is it not possible for a church to become so wrapped up in their own mission and creating a brand and creating like this feeling and I just like this, that, that we actually set aside Christ? Like, Paul's saying that they have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body's talking about the church in Christ, right? It's like, like you actually remove yourself from the church by being so enthralled with the church, <laughs> right? Like, like this, is, this is very much within the realm of possibility for us and, and may it never be true, you know, but let's be aware that everything around us that reflects Christ is just a shadow. And anytime we lift that higher than Christ, or anytime that we want to display that or even hold on to it a little bit too hard, uh, we're just a few steps away from being these false teachers that Paul's gonna be like, hey, don't go with them. Stay away from them. They're not rooted to Christ. That's where the truth is, and that's where we need to stay. Uh, you know, Paul, Paul's gonna transition into how does this look? How do we interact? What does this mean? I just wanna make a few brief notes so I don't have to have you waiting until next week. Uh, but this means that we're going to need to be a whole lot more tolerant of each other. You know, he says, uh, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to blah, blah, blah. You know, essentially, you can't say, because you're a Christian, you should look like this, and now we exclude each other, right? Well, well you, didn't, you didn't vote Republican. You didn't vote Democrat, right? You don't care enough about justice. You don't care enough about order, you know, I don't know, whatever it is. You can't say these things within the church. We have to recognize that, no, we're all made pure, holy, fully spiritually pure in Jesus Christ. We're all going to be on different paths of that journey, but let's recognize that oh, I can encourage you in it. And here's the thing. Paul never is saying, never is saying Sabbaths, new moon festivals, the purity laws are bad, right? He never says, don't, don't follow those, yeah, those are, those are outdated, right? He says they don't have the purpose that, that you want them to have. And in, in his letters to the Corinthian church and the Roman church, uh, he, he anticipates that Christians are gonna draw the line of these are the spiritual practices I do or these are the disciplines that I do, whereas others might not draw that. And we have to recognize that, that there's going to be differences in even how we go forward. So we do follow practices in order to know Christ. We don't toss everything out and then free to worship whatever. No, you're free to worship Christ. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do anything else to find him. And I also want to make a point, don't judge yourself, right? I think a lot of us, there's a temptation to say, there's a temptation to want control of our relationship with Christ, where we want to keep a record of everything that we've done. Because if times are hard, or we don't like the way that God has kind of set up the environment for us, or if God's feeling far away, we want to be able to come to him and say, okay, look, I've been a Christ follower for a really long time. I read my Bible every day. I probably know more than Pastor Brad does about the book of Colossians. Why are you not closer to me, right? Or, or the other way around, right? Where you feel distant from God and you say, well, there's gotta be something that I've missed. Perhaps I haven't been generous enough or perhaps I, and you wanna look back and you wanna see the reason I'm feeling what I'm feeling is, is down to what I have already done. Well, here's the thing, you can't judge yourself. What happened to that list? It's nailed to the cross, right? It's gone. You have full spiritual wholeness in Christ. You can enter into the presence of God. You can pray to him even right now. 
You know, even what Tammy's demonstrating to us, like, hey, if you've got something, let's, let's come forward. We can come boldly. There's no, well you, well, you weren't good enough. Maybe next week, try again. It's, no, no, in Christ, spiritually full. We are made pure. We are holy. Now, the big question is, well, what does it look like to live in Christ? You know, so danger, don't believe these things. Don't do these things. Careful, watch out. What does it look like to really live? Uh, that's next week. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, Paul, Paul knows he's, he's leaving there, there more to do. That's chapter three, and we're gonna get there um, starting next week. But here, here's what I want you to know. It's gonna be hard. You're going to have to be honest with yourself. You're gonna have to look in the mirror. You're gonna have to be willing to see your own warts and not just kind of play the game of, well, that's definitely a problem. That's, okay, how about yourself? Uh, what is it? And then here's the thing. Uh, having community enables you to see your warts if you're willing to let people point them out. Uh, but having community also gives you encouragement, where if we all understand that we're all made pure in Christ, there's no judgment. So when someone, yeah, actually, this is where I'm at, we can say, okay, let's go forward. We can accept that, and we can move forward because we all want life in Christ. That's why we have these com- discussions around our tables. That's why we have community groups sign up. Um, so after discussions, give it a chance. You know, it's four months. Uh, you can switch groups if you want. I ask the group leaders, they're okay. No one's feelings are going to get hurt. Now, now's the time, spring semester. Try something where you can plug in. You can start trusting a group, getting to know them, and trying out, hey, how can I live this life in Christ? This spiritual fullness, how can that be an experienced reality, not just something I believe because of what Jesus has done on the cross? All right, I'm, uh, let's pray, and then we'll set up the discussion questions. Dear God, I thank you so much for how much you love us, for how much you care for us. Um, thank you for purifying us. Thank you that in order for us to enter into your presence, you don't give us a list of rules or things that we're supposed to do, but you fulfilled all those things in Christ. I pray that when we try to seek you, when we read our Bibles, when we pray, when we participate in community, when we give money, when we serve, Lord, I pray that those would be proper reflections back to you, that we would not hold on to these things and think that that's where we're finding our spiritual fullness, but rather it's reminding us of you, we're learning about you, we're being filled with your presence. May you keep our hearts directly pointed to you, and may you guard us, may you bring people to us, Uh, or just convict us in our hearts if we're starting to move too far to the left or to the right. May you bump us back in the lane so that we can be directly pointed to you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we got three questions uh, trying to help further apply uh, what we're talking about. First, where else do Christians seek spiritual fulfillment other than Jesus? Uh, So this would be uh, where, where has it been taught or where, where are those temptations where we might want to find, okay, I need to do this in order to be full. Uh, second, what shadows do you chase? What are those things that reflect Jesus that, that perhaps uh, you value a lot and perhaps higher than Jesus? And then lastly, what spiritual practices do you keep? And then why? How do you make sure that those spiritual practices remain shadows and don't become the main thing?